ways that we can impact the, the community and the world, Lord, it seems like such a huge and daunting task to, 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 to take Jesus to the uttermost parts of the world. But yet, you have allowed us partnerships with, with men like Caleb and Zvanko and Mana and Ulysses and even other relationships that we have, Lord, where we can resource them, we can encourage them, Lord. These are, these are men and these are families and these are, these are communities that want to see their people come to know Jesus. And while we may not have anything in common with these, these different locations around the world, the one thing that unites us with these brothers and sisters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing us to be a, a source of encouragement to them. And we pray that the gospel would continue to spread like wildfire. Lord, that men and women and children, their hearts would melt and they would see their need for a savior and that Jesus would be their all in all. So Lord, thank you for allowing us as a, as a church, Missio Day, to impact the, the uttermost parts of the world and may we continue to see your gospel work flourish and continue to grow, Lord. To you be the glory forever and ever. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. We get to talk about goodness. What a great song we, we concluded with, the good and gracious king. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we need to elevate the good game. So write down the word good in your notes. Um, and, and let's just elevate it because I don't like the word good. And I, and I think we need, to, we need to hijack it from our culture and, and bring it back to a, a, a biblical understanding. I mean, isn't the word good are default for anything vaguely positive. Let's be honest, right? Like when I give someone a cup of coffee, you know, as a business owner and as someone who prides themselves in, 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 in serving great drinks, the last thing I want the person to say, it's good, right? Have you ever had this? Maybe Thanksgiving you experienced this, right? You prepared some amazing dish and then you're like, how was it? And someone says, it was good. Don't you just feel like, you, you feel like I want something more, I, I, you know, did you, hey, did you see that movie? And maybe it's a movie you loved. And then someone says, yeah, it was good. Don't you ever feel that? Like, no, I don't, either just be totally against it or be totally for it. But good is just kind of this mushy, generic middle. How, how many of you agree with that? So lukewarm, there you go. So this idea of good, though, is, is a radical, good, <laughs> biblical term that I want to elevate this morning for us as we consider the spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, goodness. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want you to see something remarkable here. God wants us to understand goodness in, in a way that is, is not connected to how the world defines things that are good, but ultimately we're going to see how goodness is rooted in the character of, of God himself. Um, the word goodness, here's what's interesting, is that it was created by biblical writers. When the New Testament was written 2,000 years ago, the, the common language of the day was Greek. And the biblical writers were inspired by God to write down this quality of those who are in Christ, goodness, but there was no Greek word for it, so they created a word. And it's interesting how many words biblical Christianity has created because the world didn't have a word for it. Matter of fact, write down the word love, agape, created by the New Testament writers because there was nothing in the world that communicated unconditional love. Humility is another word. Write that word down. In Greek culture, there was no such thing as humility because humility was considered a weakness. So the biblical writers had to come up with a word, so they came up with the word humility. Same thing with goodness. The Greek culture didn't have an understanding of goodness in the sense that the biblical writers wanted us to understand. So isn't it cool that sometimes our presence as believers in Christ brings something to the world that the world can't identify, the, word can't the world can't describe, but yet it's something that ought to be present in our lives as believers. Here's a, here's a great proof text this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. We tend to leave off verse 10, but I'm going to tell you verse 10 is such an important part of our discussion this morning when it comes to goodness. For you have been saved by grace, right, through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a work of God, right? It is the gift of God, not a result of works that anyone may boast. So stop right there. If any of us have had any church experience, right, we're very familiar with this verse. This is, this is a verse that communicates that 
God does everything in our salvation, and we actually do nothing. He is the primary mover. He's the primary actor. And so we, at the end of the day, cannot boast in anything. We just point to God and say, glory be to God. Amen? Now, the problem is, here's the verse we leave off that is so critical in understanding goodness. For we are his workmanship. Literally, you are his poem. You are his masterpiece. You are his work of art. Created in Christ Jesus, made brand new in Christ for good works. Don't miss this. This is part of the package of why you have been saved, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So goodness, one of the fruit of the Spirit, is part of our salvation package, if I could call it that, where Christ comes and he changes us radically so that now one of the most obvious ways we have been saved is that we bring goodness to the world. Not goodness that the world would understand it, but an otherworldly goodness, a supernatural goodness. Because that's what the fruit of the Spirit, really, they are. There's something supernaturally produced in us that the world stops and goes, what? You're different. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, bonus verse, write it down. I don't have it on the screen. But Jesus says, live as salt and light. So that when the world sees your good works, they glorify your God in heaven. What? Is there a way for non-believers to actually give credit to God for the good works they see displayed in you? Obviously, something happens there or else Jesus wouldn't have said it. So goodness, what is goodness? What are the good works that God has prepared beforehand? Well, let's take some notes this morning because this is too good to pass up, (laughs) no pun intended. Where goodness is different than kindness, because we talked about kindness last, last week, kindness really is that idea of coming alongside to help somebody. Goodness takes it to the next level where it actually becomes tender but tough love in someone's life. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 15, verse 14, check this verse out. Paul understood this when he wrote to the Romans. He said this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Now, the word really instruct is admonish. Has anyone ever been admonished? Does admonishment feel good? (laughs) No. We like to be encouraged, right? Encouraged feels all sugary, doesn't it? Admonished feels a little bit tough. But this is what the word goodness implies. It implies, I want to help you, but in my helping you, you need to know that there's going to be some toughness to it. And it's this toughness that makes us better people in Christ, right? We don't want to live, live in a world where we're always handled with kid gloves. Sometimes we need someone to speak the truth in love to us, and sometimes the truth hurts. Can I get an amen? And so here we go to this idea of goodness, that this goodness that only God can create in us as his people, and, and, and it's really due to Christ's finished work on the cross. Back to Ephesians chapter 2, right? He's, it's by faith through grace, uh, by grace through faith he saved us. We are no longer people who do evil, but now we're people who are able to do good. And I can't tell you how important that is. Matter of fact, write down this phrase, sowing good. You have the ability as those who are created in Christ for good works to sow seeds of good where seeds of evil had been planted before. And this is so good because people need this hope that goodness brings. Right? People need to understand that when Paul says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good in Romans chapter 12, this is the mission of the church. The world is being ransacked by evil. The church is now on a mission to ransack it with good. The, 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 the enemy is destroying the fabric of people's souls, and the church has been saved to restore that and to say, you are not here without purpose. You are not here without significance. And so this is the idea of goodness, right? But let's start where all goodness has to start, and that is rooted in God, point number one. Goodness 
is rooted in God. Goodness has its deepest resource in God himself. There is no good apart from God, which is an amazing point to consider. He himself is good. And matter of fact, Jesus himself goes so far to say only God is good. Remember when they came up to Jesus and said, hey, you know, what makes you so good? He goes, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And at that moment, he actually discloses himself as deity, as God, but they don't, they don't recognize it. But Jesus says something very, very important there, and that's uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus says only God is good, which is true, because only God has this intrinsic integrity and wholeness and goodness about him. Matter of fact, Acts chapter 10, verse 30, it says, Jesus went around healing people and doing good to people, but only God can do that because that's why Jesus is called the good shepherd. Write that down. Jesus, as the good shepherd, leads people to places of healing and wholeness. Again, what a mission for the church. That you exist in a world that has been fractured and destroyed by sin, and now you have the opportunity to res help restore people to a relationship with God because only goodness is rooted in God. So we experience good only in God. And there is no experience of good apart from God. He is the source of all goodness. Interesting um, book written by a guy. I think I told you this months ago about the humanist chaplain. at I think he's at Yale. He wrote a book called Good Without God which is really kind of an oxymoron, right? You can't have goodness apart from God, but yet this humanist chaplain basically says you can. Here's the problem of trying to pursue apart from God is that goodness is ever elusive and never satisfying. So think about it. The things that we pursue in life that are good, we could probably rattle off a few things. What would they be? Things that are, that are good in our world, but never satisfy. Rattle them off. What could be good? What is it? Relationship. Giving, money, food, job, all these things, right? They, are, they in and of themselves are not inherently evil, but the problem is they can be evil if they are your end-all, be-all pursuit. See, they, they can give you this luster, they can give you this, this, this glow that says, continue to chase after me, chase after me. But if anything is pursued with that level of intensity and that sort of desire, apart from God, they, they will be forever unsatisfying. See, only God is good. He is the deepest wellspring of good any one of us could ever experience. So therefore, all those things we mentioned ought to be chased and pursued in him. So he becomes our, our, our main pursuit. Everything else is a, it comes as a result of that. So this is so, so important. You cannot be good without God. And you cannot experience goodness apart from God. And I just want you to know this morning, if you're here and you're feeling empty, if you're here and you're feeling hopeless, if you're here and you're feeling dissatisfied, it's because you haven't yet found your rest in the goodness of God. Matter of fact, Augustine, many would say one of the greatest minds ever, 1,700 years ago. Yes, we can learn from people who lived 1,700 years ago. My heart is restless until it finds its rest with you. Oh, imagine making that your prayer. Lord, help me just to, to just arrive where you're at. Help me just to be where you're at. Help me just to learn that you are a good and gracious king and, and I want nothing but you. What a prayer that would be. But the problem is that all of us are tempted and allured and enticed by the things that the world will say, chase this. It's good, it's good, it's good. There is nothing good apart from God because true goodness is rooted in God. Second point, that goodness is revealed by God. And, and, and what I just described is evidence of that. See, the goodness of God is revealed in the things that he has created. So think about this, you guys, if you would, for a moment. The first instance of good in the Bible is Genesis chapter 1. 
And what happens in Genesis 1? God creates everything. And seven times he uses the word good. He says, light and darkness, boom, good. Sun and moon, bam, good. Birds and manatees, good. My favorite, my spirit animal, just in case those of you who don't know. But God creates all these things. And what does he say? Good, good, good. Then he creates male and female. And he doesn't just say good. He says very good. Like, this is amazing, right? So he elevates the creation of man and woman to the highest level possible because only men and women are created in the image of God. Manatees aren't created in the image of God. The moon isn't created in the image of God. Even though all those things display glory and splendor and order and beauty, he says about man and woman, very good. So think about this. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, God reveals his goodness by creating something ordered, structured, beautiful, and oftentimes without explanation. How many, how, how many satellites do we need to send into space to, to understand how the cosmos works? How many microscopes do we need to look into, into the hidden universe of, of atoms and cells and, and, and understand how things work, right? There's, there's great mystery, but here's what we know. There's order. Goodness is about order. It's, it's about this dynamic power that's at work, that God is sustaining the world as we speak. How many of you have taken for granted the fact that God sustains our world today? I mean, think about it. Because he is a God who is, has integrity. Write down that word, integrity. Integrity means something that can be trusted. It is something that is healthy. It is, it is bound together and it is profoundly valuable and it's fitting. Now, here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say. God has revealed goodness in what he has created. But sin has come into the world and has, has ruined things. That doesn't take away from the goodness of God, but what it means is now not everything can be good. But here's where the power of God goes to an exponential level. He can now even redeem the things that aren't good to be good. Romans 8, 28. Who knows it? God causes all things to work together for yeah, he causes all things to work together for good. Remember the Genesis 50-20 principle I told you guys a couple weeks ago? There's Joseph with his brothers, right? And they come, and these are the guys that wanted to kill him, sold him. He says, what the devil meant for evil, God has intended for good. So think about this. God is so vast and powerful and so focused on his goodness and how he's going to reveal himself through what has been created. And even through the sinful acts of men and women. He says, I'm even going to bring goodness out of those things. Is that not amazing or what? See, this, this, this gives us hope. That God is so focused on bringing health and well-being and wholeness to our world. He's a God who's behind it. He fully supports it. Which brings us to our third point. We're cruising fast, aren't we? Well, we're going to spend a long time on the last point. So God redeems goodness, right? Goodness is redeemed by God. This is where true healing happens. It's called the cross of Christ. Last week, I, I, I said the cross was the kindest act ever in human history. But I'm going to tell you today that is also the the, the goodness of God on full display. And that he knows that the world has been ruined by sin. And he's a God who steps in and says, I'm going to restore things. I'm going to redeem things. See, sin hinders our ability to see God as our highest good. Right? That's why people chase after stuff, relationships, money, career. But it also blinds us to the good we need to see in one another's lives. 
right? So how many of us were inspired? I, I remember, so Thanksgiving, this story pops up. It's popped up for six years because this is how long it's happened. The grandma who accidentally texted the wrong person about coming to Thanksgiving dinner. You guys know about that story? Isn't it awesome? Right? It's this idea. Here's this woman who, who texts, she thinks she's texting her son and says, hey, when, what time are you coming up for Thanksgiving? This was six years ago. He's like, I don't know. Who is this? It's your mom, LOL, right? And like, my mom, huh? And just thought it was really weird. Send me a picture of yourself. Now, grandma's white. This guy's black, right? And all of a sudden, like, you ain't my grandma, but do you have an extra plate? And she's like, sure. So all of a sudden, there's this accident that turns into something more purposeful. This is amazing. And for six straight Thanksgivings, that young man has gone to grandma's house for Thanksgiving all because of an accidental text. Isn't that awesome? And we as a world recognize, like, why, why are we fighting over race? Right? Why, why are we fighting over this or that? Why can't we come together? Isn't God the God who takes those accidents and redeems them for something good? It's exactly what happened. Right? And so we see God displaying the pinnacle of goodness as Jesus dies for people like us. They're at the cross, and again, we cannot miss this. God, out of his sheer grace, sends his son, Jesus, who absorbs the wrath we deserve, defeats it at the cross once and for all, and never before have we ever experienced such goodness as we have through the cross of Christ. This is why the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You have to come into relationship with him. To understand his goodness, you can't understand it apart from the cross of Christ. Because the cross becomes that instrument of redemption. Where God changes our hearts from being hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Now, I need to deal with something really, really important and, 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 and really key in this. Because one thing we've never taught at Missio Dei, and, and one thing the Bible doesn't teach, is that God only is interested in changing our behaviors. Don't focus on behaviors when there hasn't been heart change. So Romans 3 says something interesting, because it, it really gets to the heart of, of where true goodness happens. Romans chapter 3, listen to what Paul says to the Romans. Romans chapter 1, he's already talked about creation. And how God's power and wisdom has been shown in all that he's created. We kind of touched on that already. Chapter 2 says he's written his law on our consciences. No man or woman is without excuse. Then he says in chapter 3 something that is very humbling to every single person. And it's this. There's none who are righteous. No, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside together and have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So this is why we need redemption. Every single one of us is in a spiritual predicament. And is that we can't do good. Now I know someone's saying, but people do good all the time. There are virtuous acts that take place where there's a fireman who rescues a, a little baby from a burning house. Or there's a, there's a kind young teenager boy you know, who, who ushers a, an old woman across the street. Or there's people who donate to certain causes. And, and I'm going to say, while those Maybe good acts, according to our perspective, here's the crazy thing. Is that they're not good acts before God if they're not done for his glory and his honor. So stop and consider this with me. Two things we need to talk about. Not only the external things that happen in our lives, but the internal motivation of why we do what we do. Because when it comes to goodness... Only God can define goodness because that's part of who he is. This is his character. While we would acknowledge that those acts that I just mentioned, whether it be the fireman or the teenage boy helping the grandma or people donating into certain causes, those may be civic acts of goodness, but they have no salvific value. Some of you went, all right, I just checked out. Graduate level course is going on right now. So check this out. First thing we need to consider is that there is an external conformity and there's splendid vices. Now, I stole that phrase. I forgot who said it, but I really, really like it. Splendid vices are the things that we all would acknowledge as good things, but they're not virtues. They're vices because they're not done 
for the glory of God. How important motivation is in when it comes to, to the good. This is why it's a supernatural work. Yes, there's an external conformity, but anyone can do external conformity and have no inner pro proper motivation. Amen? See, I could go throughout my life and externally say, I will not steal, I will not steal, I will not steal. And at the end of my day, someone would say on my deathbed, Scott, did you ever steal in your life? And I go, no. I had a perfect record of not stealing. But if all I wanted to do was have a perfect record of not stealing, but it wasn't done for the glory of God, then it was purely external conformity with no inner motivation. God calls those splendid vices. They, they echo something good, but it's not rooted in ultimate goodness. Which brings me to my second point, and here's the, this is the kicker. There's got to be an internal motivation and sanctified virtues. You know what that word sanctified means? It means God is doing something to set you apart. Sanctification means he's changed your heart. We are now created with a positive disposition of our hearts to do things externally from a proper internal motivation. Now we're no longer in the Romans 3 category where it's like we don't seek, you know, there's none who seeks good. We have already found good, and that's God, and now everything I do ought to be motivated with the desire to please him. If it's not done to honor him, then it's a civic act of virtue and not salvific value. <laughs> All right, let's stop right there. Clarification. Who needs some Clarification. This is why it is so dangerous to purely applaud external conformity. People, you ever heard the phrase, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? The road to hell is paved with splendid virtues. I'm going to tell you right now, this is probably one of the hardest parts of discipleship in Christ. Is going before God and continually saying, Lord, Please make my motives pure. Please make my heart want you to glorify you and nothing else. And, and, and let me just give the bad news right now. Till the day you die, you'll always battle that. Why you do what you do. You don't want to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. You always want to do the right thing for the right reason. And that is the fact that you have been set apart for good works. Remember Roman, uh, Ephesians chapter 2? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that you can't take the credit. Woo! Humbling. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand for you. So Paul, Jesus, they're going to argue that the most enjoyable journey is when you do things purely for the glory of God and nothing else. Your reward in, in, that, in the heaven will be great if you do this. See, we want to manifest good works externally, but God always wants us to make sure they come from an in, inner, properly motivated place. Colossians chapter 1. Write this verse down. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, truth. God's truth is goodness. And all spiritual wisdom and understanding which comes out of his, his word and will. As to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I love that phrase. We're going to come back to it. Walk in a manner worthy. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit. In every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, again, Paul, just like he said in Ephesians 2, Colossians 1, he circles right back and says, this is important to understand. How you behave comes from what you believe. And the fact that your heart has been changed through the cross of Christ now makes you agents of good in the world. 
but to make sure that those things are done with a proper motivation. Titus chapter 3, I love this, this passage here. We actually looked at this last week too. So we get a double dip. Yay! All right, here we go. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. You know how important this is for Paul? He's already said this. Like He just wants to remind us that the gospel humbles us. Whoa, I didn't recognize that screen. It's Apple. Just We'll, for, we'll forgive them, right? So, um, Titus chapter, here we go, chapter 3. Yes! So check this out. But according to his own mercy, he has washed us, called regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Look at how he continues here. Um, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. See, goodness, as it is produced by the Holy Spirit in you, benefits others. And it benefits others as it's anchored in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there's salvific value in this. Matter of fact, I love the word excellent and profitable. Write those two words down in your notes. Because the idea of goodness has to do with moral excellence. And it has to do that which is spiritually profitable. See, sometimes we can look at those words and we can alienate them from a, a biblical understanding. But the word goodness has to do with those two things right there. And so, praise God for the fact that he has changed the disposition of our hearts. I never want you and I never want myself to do things for the Lord out of a sense of duty. I always want to do things with a sense of delight because of what he's done for me. Amen? Write those two words down. Duty delight. This is why the world has such a tough time with, with pursuing satisfaction and, and wholeness. They can't be good without God because there's this sense that God has written his law on our hearts, but if we don't have Jesus, we do things out of a sense of duty. We know we shall, now not, we shall not steal, but people don't know why they're not supposed to do this. And so the duty part of it weighs us down. God changes us so now that we can obey God. Why? Because of what he has done for us in Jesus. Amen? It's not duty. It's delight. Which then brings us to our last point. And it's this. Goodness is restored in God. Or you can say goodness is restored by God. So this is the mission of goodness through God's people. Restoration. Restoration. Goodness means... And, and, and this may be the most important statement I make this morning. Goodness means participating with God in kingdom work of calling everything and everyone back to good. So you can just write down that phrase. Calling everyone and everything back to good. That which is fitting, beautiful, ordered, integrity. Every single person is marred by sin. And our responsibility as those who have been restored through Christ is to help others be restored themselves. It's no surprise people have difficulties in their marriage, and it's no surprise people have difficulty with their children, and it's no surprise people have difficulty having a positive work ethic or, a, or, or even just behavioral you know, addictions and things like that. But again, changing someone's behavior is not going to help them restoring them and helping them understand who they are as, as created in the image of God. That's key. So I'm watching this show. I don't know how many of you watched it. The, the Get Back, the Beatles thing. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now. So I'm halfway through. It's, it's six hours. And some of you would be like, sitting with the Beatles six hours in a room where there's nothing going on. You guys were like, boring. I'm going to tell you right now. There was a mo I got goosebumps because there's a scene in it where we all know the song, Get Back, by the Beatles, right? Jojo was a man who thought, right? You guys know that? Okay. We should cue it up on Spotify right now. Just, uh, yeah. So 
we know the song, Get Back. But what was cool is on this documentary, we see it first created. And to have Paul McCartney sit there with his bass, and he's playing that riff, and all of a sudden Ringo comes in on the drums, and they're just kind of going, <laughs> they don't even have words yet. But we know what the final product looks like. See, what you have is you have this inception and this, this creative moment where something is being developed that we know ultimately is going to change the world of music. Same thing happens with Let It Be. You know, Paul McCartney's just sitting at a piano, and they're all talking and smoking. And this is one thing you realize about the Beatles. Like, everyone would just smoke and drank like crazy. I go, I want to be a part of that crowd. But, you know, that's another topic for another time. So we're sitting, they're sitting there, and Paul McCartney's playing Let It Be, and this is the first moment he has plucked those chords and notes out for anyone to even hear. And we know what a huge song this is going to be. And I thought to myself as I was reflecting on that moment, because I, you know, I love music, I'm kind of a geek like that. What we have seen is the beginning of something fantastic. Even though it was a work in progress, they didn't have the words, they didn't have all the chords, they didn't have all the right transitions, we know what the final product's going to be. And I think about restoration and that we see glimpses of the divine in us. We see glimpses of the goodness of God at work, but we're not fully restored yet. See, one day you're going to be this final product, but the good news is this. In the meantime, we get to be a part of this process that God is making us and shaping us into those joyous men and women he has designed us to be. See, this is part of why the Spirit produces the fruit of goodness in us. It's because we need to remind people that this world is not all there is. There's eternity. You were made for something bigger than your marriage. You were made for something bigger than your job. You were made something bigger than your, your educational level, wherever you arrive, masters of the universe or doctorate or whatever. You have been created to have an eternal relationship with God. And we get to be a part of the restoration process. Three things I want to I talk about real quick as we consider calling people back to something good. And that's really what it is. If, here's what goodness, if, if I was to think about goodness in a, in a very practical way, I think goodness whispers Psalm 139, which I love, when you, when you meet people. Because at the root of who people are is that they're created in the image of God. You've heard me say this time and time again. But here's what goodness does. Here's, here's what goodness whispers. Are you ready? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about how powerful those words are. You know, to go up to someone, I don't care what they look like and what they've done or what sports team they like or what political candidate they voted for, the fact is that the whisper of the fact that they are fearfully and wonderfully made speaks to the idea that we are more than we think we are. When was the last time you whispered some, something like that to somebody? Now, I'm not talking about creep mode where you're like, you know, in a store, right? And you walk up behind someone, you are fearfully. And they're like, what are you doing breathing down my neck, right? Can I just say, it, it's really, start with the relationships God already has you in. Of people who are far from Jesus. And you just operate from that, that platform every single time. You are fearfully wonderfully made. You bridge one, Psalm 139 with Ephesians chapter 2, where we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'm going to tell you right now, that's all you need. That's all you need. That's how goodness works. Three things I want to I talk about when it comes to goodness, and we'll close with this. There's an excellence in character. There's an excellence in character that God develops within you. See, there's this, this idea that, again, he's working on your heart. And when he works on your heart, what it produces is an uprightness in life and conduct. You don't receive the Holy Spirit because you're good. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and produces good. You have to understand this. 
And so there's an excellence of, in character. There's this growing capacity to appreciate that which is good, which is rooted in God. There's this uh, growing appreciation for beauty and order and integrity. And, and, and let me just tell you right now, this is, this is what speaks to the topic of hypocrisy right here. That when goodness grows in you as a result of the Spirit's work, you are the same person in public and in private. You're the same person at work or on the sports field. You're the same person at Target or Trader Joe's. Well, I don't know. I'm just thinking randomly here. But there's consistency. Why? Because that speaks to integrity. So the Holy Spirit produces excellence in character. Secondly, it produces excellence in caring. Because as God works on your heart, and again, this is a spiritual work. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we're, we're lost. It produces a caring attitude that we know the goodness that God produces in us is not just for us alone, but for the benefit of others. Matter of fact, write that phrase down, benefit of others. Where now you are on mission and have a passion to tell everybody that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That they are created, they could be created in Christ Jesus, and they could be his workmanship. See, every single one of us echoes that, that eternal, that refrain in our lives that we were meant for something more. And so the caring is that I now exist to help others, and I'm going to be active in helping people find their, their wholeness and their everything in the goodness of God. So as you have tasted and seen that, the God, that God is good, you're helping others taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an interest in their welfare. And it implies, too, that sometimes, though, your caring is not just soft. It's got to be tough at times. Right? As a parent, I can't tell you how I continue to wrestle with the balance between tender and tough. Can I get an amen from any parents out there? Right? Either I'm all tender or I'm all tough and I have a hard time striking that balance. And, and we, we accuse or we blame the extremes. Right? We, we blame the parent that is too gracious and there's no truth. And we blame the parent that's all truth and there's no grace. And that's why striking this balance of going, people need to know they're loved and cared for. But that doesn't mean I have to sacrifice truth in caring for them. See, as we grow, we become confident in who we are in Christ. We become confident in God's truth. And we become conduits of that truth when it comes to someone else's life. And that sometimes means saying the hard thing. Which brings me to the last point, And it's this, excellence in our calling. Remember the phrase I said I'll come back to? Walk in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus. We saw it in Colossians 1. It's, it's repeated in Ephesians chapter 4. Can I tell you how important this is? That if you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we are now on a journey together. And I have a responsibility, not just to myself, but I have a responsibility to you as a fellow believer in Christ, as you have a responsibility to me, to help us excel in our calling. And can I just tell you right now, there's nothing greater that you've been called to than to become more like Christ. Here's the word, conformity. God is conforming you into the character of God who is ultimate good. And when you grow in conformity to him, you taste and see how good that good is. And it implies two things. It implies, number one, that we're going to cultivate obedience to God, right? There's, we're we're, we're cultivi cultivating this goodness as we obey God. You cannot believe in Jesus and disobey the Lord. Those things are incongruous. That's a fancy word. They're, they're incompatible, right? We are called to hold one another accountable, point number two. See, we not only cultivate obedience but we also hold one another accountable. And what that means is saying, hey, sometimes we see each other, hear something, and we have to say, that doesn't look like Jesus. 
this is, this is ultimate level discipleship right here. Right? You can't taste and see that the Lord is good without someone on the journey calling out your crap. Can I get an amen? amen. Don't be like, I got the spiritual gift of calling out crap. <laughs> like, because there's some of you that love to call out people's crap, but no one's calling out your crap. Can I, can I just tell you, Romans chapter, let's go back, Hebrews chapter 10. Do we have that one up there? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25. If not, no worries. Think about this. Hebrews chapter 10. Brothers, sisters, spur one another on towards good deeds as you see the day of Christ approaching. Right? You know what that spur means? means I'm going to walk alongside you with like a cattle prod. Be like, <laughs> now not literally, all right? Like all of a sudden, boy, cattle prod sales gone up this week. Uh, what's going on? Some pastor in Chandler told people, like, but you know what I'm saying? Like we need to come alongside one another and say, be good, do good, right? Because the day's coming. The day's coming, right? We need to understand verses like um, Romans chapter 12. I love Romans 12, right? Brethren, in light of God's mercies, right, present yourselves as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, right? There's the conformity part of it. By the renewing of your mind, that which uh, by testing you may discern what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, we need to understand that we cannot see goodness work in us and through us apart from the word of God. The word of God is transformative. Can I get an amen from somebody? I think about Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Paul says this, verses 8 and 9. Um, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Isn't that cool? Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Man, that's awesome. How about um, Philippians chapter 4? I love this verse. Uh, comes right after, you know, don't be anxious for anything, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made to known, known to God, and the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We stop there. Got to continue. Look at this. Because whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, all that is goodness right there. All that is goodness. If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, not only is there a renewal of your mind happening because of God's truth, there's a meditation on these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things. That's discipleship, right? We're going to continue to say, what are you reading in God's word? We're going to continue to say, how is God's word transforming your life? We're going to continue to say, what sort of good are you being able to do in other, other people's lives, right? We're going to be resolved to do good, like 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 says. Look at what Paul says to the Thessalonican church. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Whoa! So now, not only do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus, but God makes us worthy of his calling so that he can fulfill every resolve for good. Can we be a church that's resolved for good? Yes. But we've got to be committed to one another. That without God's truth, without God's word, without God's will, and us holding one another accountable in that, we're of no good. So ladies and gentlemen, I invite you into a discipleship journey. As the Spirit produces fruit, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness. Yeah, a few of you have been paying attention. That's good. It'll take a few more weeks. You guys will catch up. Goodness. To enter into the world and to say to every single person, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the possibility that you are going to be created in Christ Jesus for good works because you're his workmanship. Are you kidding me? Can we help one another plummet the depths of, of what that means as, as one another called the church? And can we take this message out on a mission to tell everybody there's a God who wants to make you whole. 
this is our mandate. And all God's people said, you better believe it. How we do? We're a little, you know what? Happy Thanksgiving. We're a little bit shorter today, so God does answer prayers. Scott's message is only 50 minutes instead of 60 minutes, so I'm praying. I'm praying for you. Pray for me that we would really live in this, this, this space. That what God is doing in us and through us, it's for his glory. It's going to exalt Christ. It's going to bring wholeness to people's lives. That's what this world needs. And all God's people said, let's stand, let's pray. Father, thank you for realigning our hearts and our minds with that which is proper, purposeful. Lord, this idea of goodness, I know it's, it's, it's been something I've been really just kind of meditating on and really just, it's just excited about. Lord, once again, we arrive at this place that we realize we can't do anything apart from your, your change in our, our hearts. We can't do anything apart from your power at work within us. So, Lord, we invite you to change us from the inside. Lord, help us to, to savor Christ like we've never savored him before. Help us to see others with, with some spiritual eyes. Because, Lord, as we have seen what a change in our hearts look like, Lord, I, I, I just know men and women are hungry for that kind of change. They, know, they need to know that there's something uh, valuable and, and worthwhile beyond anything this world can offer, and that's ultimately to taste and see that you alone, God, are good. So, Lord, help us go forth, not only living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, but being vehicles to communicate to others that they can be fear, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and become new in Christ. Lord, thank you for the love you've shown us. Thank you for the fact that you continue to show us your goodness. Help us to continue to live in that for your glory and your honor forever and ever. And we can only pray this in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless